Hello, hello. Yeah, it's working. Thank God. I had to restart my um, my MacBook because every time when I switch uh, around, you know, various devices over this adapter, um, then I sometimes lose the, a proper connection to the protocols necessary being run to access this Yeti microphone. So I had to restart uh, the whole thing and my recording was trashed. Um, my name is Dean Laxer and welcome to my ranting channel. Um, it's been a while. I don't really remember when it was the last time that I made a recording. Um, I have some tiny updates of my private little absurd life uh, that I would like to share with you guys before I start talking about Peter Gabriel finally. Okay, we had some episodes with, you know, bullshit and, and various other topics that I just wanted to tear apart. And in the background, I am drinking a whiskey again because I just came from work, okay? Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm working in logistics as a day job. Uh, and I'm just uh, basically moving items around, uh, cleaning up uh, the storage spaces and stuff like that. And basically, a lot of that work is being done over SAP, so I'm monitoring, uh, let's say, uh, certain aspects of my uh, uh, logistical department, let's say. I'm not responsible for everything, just a portion of that building. And that is fun to do because, not because of the work per se, but I have great colleagues, I got to tell you. Ever since I started working in this department, I have always uh, great people to talk to or work with. And... Um, Lots of topics to talk about. Everyone is a nerd. You know, that's the cool thing. So I can, no matter who I talk to, I just, I have uh, just a, <laughs> I have a great conversation. So I do like working there nowadays. So um, that's, a, that's a plus. Um, while I'm sitting at home, I have, however, some bad news for, uh, let's say, myself. Because I received a mail. A letter, a real letter on paper, not some fucking email or, you know, some, some garbage that I don't really want to read about. Um, it was a notification from the, uh, the retirement uh, insurance company that is basically government-funded and government-run. Um, when I get older, let's say, if I live that long, you know, first and foremost... I might receive a small package of money every month, my retirement payment, and uh, just settle down somewhere, which is not going to be possible with the money that I make now, which means I do am a little bit afraid, actually, for, for the future, because I don't think I'm going to have much to look out for. I think uh, <laughs> my future is going to be grim, guys. But that's okay, you know, everybody is responsible for themselves, and I think um, for now I'm doing fine. But the future might be really expensive, especially now with the current situation that we have, you know, the, the Ukraine war, uh, COVID. Uh, the, um, we have a very large economic crisis and a financial problem in Germany, and um, for now it is even being discussed. I'm not sure how how much or how serious this is, but some politicians actually 
had an idea to force people to work until they're 70 years old. Okay? Not, not 62, not 65, 70. Imagine that. How is that possible? If you're an office jockey, okay, and you, you're uh, some kind of keyboard cowboy, you might think that reaching 70 is possible at some point. But everyone else who's working like in, in construction or doing some other labor job, forget it. They're fucked up when they're 50. At least most of them are, okay? Not like being, uh, you know, sitting in a wheelchair and not capable of, of, of working at all or even moving around. No, but they do suffer, you know, they have like medical conditions of, of all sorts, back pain, shoulder pain, knee pain. And the German government wants those people to keep working till they're 70. Fuck you. I mean, that's like just disrespectful beyond belief. And why did they do that? Well, because retirement money, the government funded system of retirement money, we're not talking about private insurance companies here, just what the government is willing or capable to financially support and carry for the German population. Um, they say it's not possible to finance that, but it is possible to finance and upgrade in military support and, you know, uh, finance war and all that, which is... Um, uh, look, I am totally for the Ukraine side, no, no doubt. But uh, our future will be a little bit compensated or compressed from that. Uh, no way to say it. I think compensated is the wrong word here. Our future might be uh, hitched, okay? Uh, there's not really much for people like us to look out for. So I am thinking more than ever before of uh, leaving the country and going to a, a different place. I, I might want to leave the EU at some point. I'm not sure if I'm capable of doing that or even financially, you know, able to carry this kind of shit, but I'd like to leave if I could. I mean, I am capable of the English language, as you know. I am not perfect. I get that, but I think I can get around. You know, communication is, is, is a one of the skill that, that I could uh, probably use. I might learn Spanish at some point because, you know, a colleague of mine is leaving to Spain in a couple of weeks, uh, starting a new life once again, and he's reaching uh, 50 in a couple of years, and he's still moving, he's still rocking and kicking his, his own ass around and trying to learn this language just to get his family to a better place with better, uh, better weather conditions, uh, maybe a better financial structure. Uh, who knows? You know, it's 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 kind of funny if you think about it because most Germans want to stay in Germany. The guy I'm talking about is not a German, by the way. He's actually from the Czech Republic, but he's been around. He also lived in America for a while. And uh, uh, in comparison to my German fellow people, okay, uh, most of them want to stay in Germany because that's all they know but they like traveling to Spain for vacation. And lots of Germans consider Spain to be their second, uh, second home. But they're not thinking about leaving to Spain completely. Now, of course, if you would actually go that far and think that millions and millions of Germans would actually move to Spain, I think we would consider that to be, for the Spanish public, a bad idea. I mean, I, I really don't want to 
you know, piss uh, Spanish people off with the typical negative German attitude that we have. So um, it's okay if a portion of these people actually move to Spain. I'd like to be one of them, but currently, you know, um, I'm not sure how to do that. I would, I would probably look for a job, first of all, if I could actually uh, do that and get in contact with a company who is willing to give me a chance. Um, that's something to think about. So I'm, I will look out for that stuff. I'm gonna search the web for uh, the Spanish market and see what I could, what I could do with English alone before I actually get some some Spanish skills. But that's just an idea. I mean, I had many ideas in my lifetime. I wanted to move to Taiwan. I can pretty much forget that. Uh, I wanted to move to Iceland, but I just don't have the money for it. You know, I, finding a job in Iceland, I, I tried that too for a while. Now I'm just focused on my studies for now and still trying to write this book. But that's a different story. That book is on hold. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm writing a fantasy novel about a young girl discovering uh, certain powers, let's say, uh, that have something to do with necromancy. And uh, her father is a mentor of hers, and she's, uh, she's looking for him because her father is gone. And I established that story pretty well so far. I still have to edit the fuck out of the story, but... You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very close to my heart, and I like writing about it and uh, fantasizing how the story might continue in the future. And uh, for the rest of the year, I'm still going to write the first chapter. Uh, not, not the first chapter, no. The first half of the book, let's say. That's the, the first element of uh, what, what actually happens to establish the character, to establish the environment, the story, the family, and, and the suffering and, and some point and to some degree at least to make to make uh, maybe the the character more believable or relatable you know that, that that kind of stuff and the second half will be about pure fantasy elements where the character is actually confronted with the facts with with powers and new laws of of maybe physics or uh, you know about about death and dying in, in a different world and not, not on the planet. But that's something I'm still working on. So, you know, it's, it's on shaky legs for now, but I think it's fun uh, nonetheless. So aside from that, so I'm, 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 while I was talking about this retirement shit, retirement money, I got a mail. Okay, just bear with me here. I'm, 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 I'm starting to drink here. So in case you can't follow my story, just bear with me. I, I received a letter from the government uh, concerning my retirement money, and they said, now listen to this, I am over 40 fucking years old, okay, I'm 43 now, and um, I received a letter that says, or claims, that the government is missing data to, um, to evaluate the 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 amount of money that I will receive from the times where I paid into the retirement um, uh, uh, insurance, let's say, okay? Um, most people in Germany, they get, of course, retirement money from the government after you have, you know, fulfilled your your uh, duty of working life up to up to the age of, you know, like sixty something or sixty five, let's say. And then you could actually access that money and just retire and live your life as long as you can. 
and no matter where, you could actually move to a different country and then live from that retirement money if that's financially possible for you. Everyone is a little different. I know people who will get like thousands of euros at the, you know every month when they when they actually go into retirement. That's because they uh, they had a better job, okay. And I'm working in logistics, so I, I get like you know ass raped with <laughs> with the amount of money that I make. So when I get retirement money, um, I won't be able to to uh, support myself when I'm older. So that's something I'm worried about. But um, the, 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 insurance, the, the, the government insurance company is, is actually uh, more concerned about this right now because they're, they're missing data of specific times where I, uh, at least they claim that I did not provide information about my whereabouts, about my occupation, or anything else in that regard, which is ludicrous because um, they're missing a year almost an entire year where I actually went to school, public fuck school, and they didn't know about it? I don't understand that because I was insured over the, uh, the, uh, an insurance company uh, that my, my mom chose back then. I was a member of that insurance company. Of course I was. I, I know that for a fact, but I don't have the papers for it to show it. But I know that I went to school because I have my degree. This degree is not worth a penny, but I have one. So I have to actually send that stuff uh, to, to the, yeah, well, with this fraction of, of, of bureaucracy bullshit to prove that during those times of 1996 to 1997, I actually went to school. Okay, and I have to, I have to fix this because these fucking idiots lost the information somehow. I don't know how, but they need the information to actually evaluate, like I said, the proper sum or amount for my future in the next uh, twenty-five years. I guess, you know. So that's pretty dull, you know. And, and many, many more years are actually missing from times where I was unemployed or I moved away and some some shit like that. I had a few jobs in my lifetime. I have to admit, I wasn't always working 24-7. I had phases where I just couldn't find a job and was living from, let's say, welfare almost, you know, at least the German version of it. And uh, now I have to back up all this information. I have to look for this shit. And I don't understand why. Because everything I touched is government-funded or government-based. The, the, the unemployment money that you receive, the retirement money, you know, or, or health insurance is also government funded. For fuck's sake, how can they miss this information? How can it be lost? I don't get it. But it pisses me off because it proves once again that the German system is flawed. And uh, I, it's, it's good that it actually still works. That's true. I mean, health insurance is something that lots of people around the world do not have. But we can be thankful that we have this. But we still have to pay for everything else extra as well which a lot of people don't talk about. What we don't pay for in Germany is if we actually go to a doctor, to the appointment, and get a diagnosis of sorts, you don't have to pay for that. That is beautiful. That's true. I love this shit. It's good that it, it's good that it works that way and that we get supported like that. But if you go to the dentist, you got to pay for everything uh, yourself, at least not the appointment and the work that the dentist does. That's all covered. But the materials being used to fix your teeth is something you got to actually pay by yourself. The insurance company or the government insurance, the, the health insurance, 
does not pay much for that kind of stuff. Actually, just a tiny, tiny percentage, if anything at all. And if you get you know, like real tooth replacements, we're talking about um, implants, for example. Oh, forget it. The, the government is going to fuck you up the ass. You, what they pay for you is a fraction of the entire sum. And we're talking thousands, sometimes thousands of euros, if you want to get your teeth fixed. And I personally would like to do that. I have a private uh, insurance uh, a, a company that I signed up for a couple of years ago, and I've been paying for that insurance every month, which is, um, it's not a lot of money, but it, it's still money that I lose. But I gain at least, you know, some services, and in case I need a, a one or maybe two or more teeth replaced, I hope that this insurance company is not going to fuck me over then I can get at least 80% or 90% of the expenses paid or covered while I pay everything else. And that's okay. I can deal with that. But paying everything by yourself in Germany, it's almost impossible. It's, it's really, you got to be wealthy beyond belief to actually get all of your teeth fixed properly. Okay. We're not talking about fillings here. Fillings are a joke, which you still got to pay yourself mostly, especially when it's about plastic, you know. Uh, anything higher than plastic is almost not affordable. It's just, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds that you need to pay for this shit. I'm not sure what it's like in America. I don't know. I, I never looked into that kind of stuff. But um, I do know that it's really expensive in Germany and it's no fun. But that's a different case though. So my, my weekend is going to be uh, partially paperwork and paper wars so um, I'm not looking forward to that, but I want to do it when I'm drunk. I think that might be a little bit better. Mm. Mm. In case you're wondering, I'm, I'm drinking a blend this time, not a single malt. I am a huge fan of single malts. Of course I am. I'm also a fan of a good bourbon, but uh, for today, because uh, I just felt like it, I bought a very cheap uh, blend from from a store nearby and uh, it doesn't taste all that bad it's actually a blend made out of various uh, leftovers of single malts and uh, most of these recipes are of course secrets and they don't want to reveal the secrets uh, but you know for the price you pay up you you pay like 12 bucks for this bottle and the taste is not so bad in the end uh, but if you can and you can afford something better you should uh, no doubt you should. But, um, yeah, so much for that. Uh, the whiskey is called Blackstone, by the way. Um, there used to be a Canadian, uh, I think also blended whiskey, uh, called Blackstone. For some reason, that same name is being used now for a Scotch single malt blend product called Blackstone. I don't know why. I'm not quite sure what happened. If they purchased the name or if they purchased the uh, the distillery and, and you know, it, it tore it down in Canada and now you just have the, the, the Scotch version. I don't know. I'm not quite sure about that. But the taste is still just fine for, for me at least. And I drink a lot of stuff. I, I really do. I'm, I'm a huge liquor fan. <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't. Um, this podcast might be a little bit longer today because um, 
I have a lot on my mind, really. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the TV show Lucifer. Now, in case you don't know what that is, Lucifer is actually based off, uh, based on a DC comic series that was produced uh, many years ago. Um, I'm not quite sure when exactly I'm going to look that up because I, I, I'll probably do a separate episode or a separate podcast talking about the Lucifer TV show because I binged watched the whole fucking shit. And I was actually really surprised at the overall quality, the overall quality of the show. I love the message of the show. Uh, the actor Tom Ellis is just brilliant. He's such a cool guy. I love this guy to death. I'm going to be his biggest fan one day. Uh, I think British actors are just uh, terrific overall. Their performances and dedication to their work is just mesmerizing. And you can see that time and time again. And just like David Tennant, if, if you don't know who that is, look him up. I mean, he's, he's like, he's a great example of what British actors bring to the table when it's about acting. Their dedication, the, the emotion, uh, the delivery, uh, all their performances are just spot on. Some some a little bit more, some better, some less. Of course, yeah, you have differences, of course. But uh, Tom Ellis has been something really refreshing, in my opinion. And I have never seen anything of Lucifer before. For some reason, I started watching uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I just couldn't stop. So I binge-watched the whole shindig. Um, uh, surprisingly so, it started to get a little bit better in quality from season four when Netflix picked up the show because it was canceled after season three. Season three, Tom Welling is playing the bad guy or like not entirely bad guy, but somebody who was embracing, you know, let's say life for a while and then starts, you know, to turn on Lucifer and everyone else and becomes the true evil again. But that's a different story. I'm going to go more into detail about that. Also about Tom Welling's performance, which is not great, to be honest. Tom Welling is very stiff when it's about acting. Um, he was lighthearted at some point in Smallville for a while, but every time you see Tom Welling, he's always the same. <laughs> so he's not a great actor. He's a great guy, for sure. My feeling tells me this guy is awesome. You know, being friends with him would be probably fantastic or drinking a beer or something something like that. But as an actor, I think, you know, he has his, his, his limits for sure. And you can see that very, very uh, blatantly in, in Lucifer season three. Uh, but the ending of that, of that season was fantastic. It's just really well done, very emotional, very beautiful. And I, I couldn't stop watching. Season four, five, and six are also great. And I think probably the best of, of the whole uh, show in, in the end. The, the funny thing about the show is it starts off as, as goofy and, and ludicrous and tongue-in-cheek kind of humor, meta-humor very much, um, because Lucifer is like a loose cannon, a loose drinking sexual cannon. And he transforms into a much better decent being. Not human being, but he, Lucifer is an angel, of course, you know, created by God. And then he is, uh, sort of started a rebellion against God, according to the Bible anyway. And then God descended to hell to rule over hell for 
almost all eternity, all eternity, or at least a long, long time. Um, I'm not a believer. I have no faith in, in religion whatsoever, but I wanted to talk about the aspects of the show, the aspects of religion itself, and what we could learn from vice versa uh, in, in, in uh, comparison to yourself, to what you might learn from the show, or out of religious aspects and then comparing everything together, you know, once again. And uh, talk about that a little bit because the ending, I just saw half an hour ago the uh, uh, series finale and I was blown away. It's not perfect, but it's fucking good. I got to say, I was really touched and it w- it's a beautiful ending. I-, I liked it. I like everything they did. It has its flaws. It has some, some logical flaws, but I'm going to talk about that later. It's it's something to look out for if you like uh, comic book material and maybe even some religious mumbo jumbo. You know, you could you could definitely uh, find some pleasure, if not even more, from this TV show. But um, yeah, that's about it. I think everything else is the same, the same old stuff, the same old story. Um, yeah, I think it's time for Peter Gabriel, and I think we have some good news. In case you haven't noticed, or haven't heard, or read anything online, Peter Gabriel himself announced that he wanted to release a brand new album at the end of this year, or at least sometime later this year. And uh, we had drummer like the old uh, famous Manu Kache, who was with him on tour during uh, the, the, the Us album. The Secret World Tour, and he stated that he was actually recording with Gabriel on his new material, and that this this stuff is real, and it's it's it, it should be or has to be completed uh, during the rest of the year. I'm mean, very much looking forward to this because it has been over 20 years since Gabriel actually announced anything at all in form of a new real studio album, his own material, and not let's say, rehashed material for an, orca- an orchestra that we had during the, the New Blood Tour or the Scratch My Back material where he covered songs with you know, classical uh, music or uh, the, the Back, to, Back to Front Tour where he was, where he was celebrating uh, the anniversary of So, his, his most successful album. Uh, you know, it's it's good that he did that. I, I liked all of it, but everyone has been craving new material for years since the Up album. And I think it's long overdue, and I think Gabriel knows that because he's a master of distraction, so he says himself. And he's been distracted by so many different things. <laughs> uh, first of all, of course, family, family life, um, which comes in his life... Uh, uh, first, above everything else, you know, his his wife and his kids, um, his older kids from his first marriage, and uh, then of course he's a member of the elders, which is a group of old people, wise people, let's say, taking care of social issues or you know uh, uh, human rights issues. He's also a, a, a supporter of any kind of human rights activity. We know that. He's a supporter of animal rights, which I very much admire. And I, I, I also donated to uh, some of his projects, and, and so should you. 
but you know you don't have to it's just it's optional you should dig into this material and make uh, a choice for yourself if you want to donate or not it's 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 really not uh, uh, you know it's it, it's it's up for debate but I think there is good reason why some of these projects are uh, trustworthy and should be also followed and respected and, and supported I think it's important for for many of us to you know take some time off of your life and deal with this stuff and you know pay some attention to it it's 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 not all bad really it's it's there's a lot of good stuff and good intentions here and i think um even in in today's world with a crisis that we face every day and you know and other people losing their lives or home um some of us like here in germany we actually still live in a very safe environment for now and i think if somebody can donate for a good cause for something decent, uh, something something worthy of your time and your money, then maybe you should think about it to, to spend maybe ten bucks or or, or or twenty. You know, it's it's okay. You're not gonna die from that, and so am I. But that's you know beside the point. I'm also a member of a uh, of of, a, of an animal uh, rights uh, activist group uh, for animal support and animal freedom. Let's say to uh, trying to fight against the industrial destruction of animals like, you know, livestock in, in, in a gigantic proportion that really is not good for anyone. Not good for us, not good for the animals. And I'm, uh, as you might know from previous podcasts, I have stopped uh, eating meat almost altogether. I do eat meat sometimes, just on rare occasions. And I do feel guilty when I do. But that's just me personally. I'm not talking about you or anyone else you can do whatever you want it's it's a personal choice that we make and if you think that you should maybe reconsider the way you're eating there's always time to learn something new okay that's not a must i'm not a preacher i'm just you know putting it out there that i showed an interest in this material and it's not a bad idea to uh, consider you know maybe just stepping down from consuming meat for a while or maybe just all together and go a different route you don't have to be completely vegan though i mean that's a different kind of thing to, to me personally i do i do respect people being vegan but it's too harsh for me personally because i don't think that we're abusing animals altogether if you continue eating uh, milk products or or eggs for example i think there's a there is a coexistence that is possible for sure okay um, I consider myself to be a uh, pescatarian. I eat vegetarian food most of the time, and I eat fish. And I love fish. I really love the animals too. But I have to be honest, I made that choice. I want to eat fish. Um, I don't eat it very often, but I do. I love salmon. I love uh, um, um, sandfish or... Um, trout you know that kind of stuff it's 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 really tasty and it's i feel good about myself to be honest when i eat like that you know not like on a constant basis like i said i'm not eating fish every fucking day but um uh, you could you could i could not stop eating shrimp for example or prawn i just i'm a sucker for this shit you know i really love to eat that stuff I do like the animals a lot, but they, they're just too tasty, and I, I just can't help myself. So that's something that I will not stop eating. 
at least not for me personally. But I am not eating pork anymore. I'm not eating chicken for a couple of years now or, or, uh, um, or beef. I, I stopped eating that. Well, anyway, that's a different uh, topic. Like I said, anyone can make their own choices. Um, when it's about music, I do prefer um, emotional music. I do prefer electronic music to some degree. Um, listening to rock and roll is something that I do uh, occasionally, and I listen a lot to Peter Brian Gabriel because he's just my absolute favorite artist. I love his work so much. I love the guy very much. I think he's a he's a great dude. Um, much respect for the man, and um, I'm really looking forward, like many other fans out there, to listen to brand new material, which he hopefully might uh, you know publish or tease a little bit uh, during this year or the rest of. Uh, I don't know. I just hope it's going to be this year. And he, they announced actually even a tour, a possible tour for 2023. And I will try to get a backstage pass. I really want to meet the guy. I want to meet the band if I can. Um, I'm not sure if I can afford it, but I will try. I really love to be a part of this and just, you know, show them my, my gratitude and respect for the work they do and just have a good time. That's all. I'd, I'd like to drink a cup of coffee with a man or, you know, maybe a beer. Who knows? <laughs> but it's it might be possible that a backstage uh, pass is not possible because of health issues or COVID. So I, I have to be prepared for that. There, That is a possibility. But I might get around that somehow. Maybe I can I can find a way. Maybe it's not going to be so uh, secure or, or so... Um, restricted let's say and we all have a chance of purchasing a backstage ticket somehow and be a part of this fantastic music experience and uh, up until then i'm going to be talking about his work sometimes uh, i'd like to talk about some future projects that he did and you know wrap it up in one podcast but for today i've been talking for over half an hour here i'd like to talk about the up album I'm going to take a very short break here. I'll be right back, thanks to the pause button. And we'll start talking about this very interesting introspected album or introverted album. I don't know. I'm starting to get drunk here, but I don't care. It's a beautiful day. I'll be right back. So, okay, I'm back. Yeah. I should maybe, you know, blend some music in there, something that I played for myself on my uh, my microcorg, but <laughs> I'm still not capable of actually doing that. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I, I really am a dupe. Uh, a, um, a noob. I wanted to say noob. I'm sorry. I had to pull out the old record, the original disc of uh, the Peter Gabriel Up album from my shelf. A shelf that I have created and built by myself. Um, yeah, um, the album. Where do I start? It was something that I have uh, yearned for for a long time because, you know, it was almost a decade after the, uh, the uh, Us album was released. The Us album did quite well with a few million copies sold, but the Up album did, in comparison, rather poorly. Now, that is 
a bit disappointing. According to the information that I have found, it, it wasn't even sold 500,000 times. It was a bit below that. I am not sure if this information is accurate. I pulled it out of Wikipedia from the German page. Um, I don't know if there were any more sales of this album. What I do know and do remember when it came out in 2002, or was it was it 2002? Let me, let me check. I'm reading this on the albums. Yeah, it was 2002. It was announced, I think, in 2001 on Peter's own webpage back then. Um, while he was still running this so-called infamous uh, Full Moon Club. For whatever reason, Full Moon, I don't know. He was just a fanatic about the, the moon. He said when the moon is full, uh, he would update or you know broadcast or, and upload new information and videos about the album. And so we got a little bit closer to, um, to, to the content of the album and each and every track where he would actually introduce his ideas and, you know, the origin of the track and what it all means, at least ba loosely to, uh, to, to for from his side of the story to uh, what it actually ended up with becoming. And I think, if I remember correctly, the album disappeared from the album charts in Germany, at least very fast. It was up there somewhere in the top 10 for a while, for a week maybe, and then it just disappeared. Um, that's because of poor marketing, to be honest. I think the album the album could have done better overall with, um, with sales altogether, but many fans didn't really like the album all that much. I've read some very harsh reviews uh, stating that the album sounds more like like uh, some edited sound piece instead of a real studio album. It sounded more generic from, you know, uh, computer software edited and, and cut together and arranged instead of an actual, you know, let's play together and make an album music from uh, the So album or uh, even the Us album. So um, I'm not quite sure if that's all true, but it, the album does sound a lot different from uh, all the other previous albums. But um, I wouldn't say it's all that bad. I do like the album a lot. It's, it's an interesting piece of art. And that's where the problem is for many people, I think, because the album is very specific. Most of these tracks deal with death. And that's all. <laughs> Just really death. And a lot of people thought, yeah, maybe, maybe Gabriel is becoming more depressed nowadays. You know, and I'm... I'm I, I try to shake these people sometimes, at least in my mind, I would shake them all and say, this is what Gabriel has been all his life, but you just didn't understand the message. Not that he's completely depressed, of course, no, he's actually a fun dude as far as I know anyway. But he's very concerned about the material that he uses for songs and he doesn't want to produce bullshit, he wants to produce real music that serves a purpose, you know, that actually accesses a topic or deals with issues that are a bit more complicated. In life, like he says himself, the, he's, he makes music from the miserable white man, you know, because we're all miserable, including myself. And I think that's why I can identify with his music uh, the most, you know, in, in comparison to other artists. And I know they're just, you know, hundreds of, of fantastic 
uh, musicians and, and, and songwriters out there. No doubt, no doubt. But this guy, just for me personally, he takes the cake. He really does. And um, when I heard that most of the songs were about death, you know, I loved it. I love the concept. Fucking A, I need more of that. It's great, you know. The, this, this dark stuff is really beautiful. And I think uh, the Up album, even though it's called Up, it is the darkest album overall. Uh, it, it really is. As, you know, albums like, like Security, number four, or Melt, number three, they are a bit more, I think, social critical overall. And, you know, they have a different tone of the album in, in, in general. And But this year, this is much darker. This is about our existence. This is about life and death. This is about loss. This is about grief. And there are only two tracks here uh, that actually sing, or not sing, but they, they talk about a different tone. We have songs like Growing Up, which is the most positive one on there because, you know, he, he, was, he, he knew he needed an upbeat track to promote the album somehow. You can't really promote something dark all the way and not make it like an, an earworm. It's not too mainstream, with the exception of uh, Growing Up and The Barry Williams Show. Now, uh, I love the track Growing Up. I love the beat of it because it sounds a bit more, more disco, a bit more electronic. You know, um, I think, dare I say, it sounds a bit more modern for younger audiences. I think some people could actually deal with a song like that. And then you have Barry Williams Show, which I think is is a fantastic track. It was great live. It really was. Um, but it got butchered in, 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 in by critics. It got butchered in many countries. And it even got banned from, from radio at some point because... You know, it had a great music video too. Because of the use of the words um, that this uh, this song was dealing with, it was actually making fun of this, this hungry society for these ludicrous talk shows uh, where, uh, you know, like Jerry Springer and all, you know, all this bullshit uh, that we know. And th- it, it's trash television. You come from work, you come home, you, you you digest this bullshit and you feel bad afterwards because it's a waste of time. And that's why Gabriel wanted to make a song about it. The bad part is when this song was, was, was published, the topic was too old. That's what they criticized, first of all. You know, they, they said, um, maybe I should have started with this stuff later, but I just wanted to get this out of the way so I don't forget. Um... Uh, I, I do remember people saying the song is great. They liked it. it. The topic and the message came a little bit too late because in the early 90s when talk shows actually took off, especially in Europe or let's say Germany, um, that song could have been great at the time. But it came out in 2002. So, you know, everybody got used to this kind of trash television. And it was, this message came too late. It's not like the, the, the track is, is, is in, inaccurate. But nobody really cared much for the message of the song. So, you know, it, it kind of fell under the radar for a while. And then, then censorship uh, came along the way. And they, they wanted to ban the song from radio, especially, as, I, if I'm not mistaken, I could have sworn, even in Great Britain itself, the song was banned from radio because of the use of certain words like 
child molester. Okay, and that's because it, you know, this kind of stuff, molestation, abuse, this kind of stuff is always being talked about on talk shows over and over again about rapists, child molesters, this kind of stuff, of course. And, um, you know, he sings about these topics or he, he throws them in there to give you a tone of what it is that we digest in talk shows. That's what he, he talks about. And the, the, the abuse of this kind of power to present the sensation to the TV audience to make money off of it. That's what this, this song is actually about. And because he used those words to, 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 to color the topic, to underline the message, they said, oh, we can't have that on radio. We, we can't make songs about that. It's not a song about that stuff. It's about the talk show. But that's, you know, that's censorship for you where just people lose their fucking minds and don't really understand what's at stake here or what is actually being sung about, okay? So, yeah, you have it there. That's one of those nails in the coffin when less music was being played of the album on TV and radio, that's when this, the, the album kind of got flushed down and uh, disappeared from, from uh, let's say, the mainstream audience into the underground music scene, where the album still did good enough, probably. But um, when Peter announced he wanted to go live again, 2003, I think, um, I do remember that I was there in Germany in, I think it was Bottrop in Germany. I'm not quite sure if that's correct. I don't remember exactly, but I do know it was my first concert of Peter Gabriel ever. And it was the Growing Up Tour. Then, of course, was uh, it was continued by Still Growing Up because the tour actually made some good money. It was... Uh, greatly visited and, and reviewed by critics uh, worldwide, as far as I know. And that's because, you know, he, he took a time out. He was, he was gone from the Secret World Tour and became very silent after 1994 and then uh, just disappeared into his own world and, you know, started crafting new music and then became bald sort of, you know, he, he decided to get rid of all the hair because his hair loss was just growing rapidly and he became very gray. So um, I think that's when he decided to go completely bald. Something I'm doing now, by the way. Because I'm losing hair a lot. Can you hear this when I do this? Wait a minute. Yeah, you can. I'm sorry. That's my glass, my whiskey glass. I put it somewhere else. Um, yeah, I, I do remember, I remember live, it was fantastic, and many people came from all over Europe, uh, mostly Europe, some even from, you know, America and all that, because they wanted to be a part of uh, this, this movement, this, this musical uh, masterpiece that he created, and, uh, you know, listen to old songs again that he used to play. And um, especially, you know, songs like Sledgehammer, for sure, you know, or In Your Eyes. Uh, the, the interesting thing is a lot of people forgot about Gabriel. And when he said, I'm going to go on tour again, they wanted to see the old Gabriel again. And I got to tell you, the, his performance uh, during those days was spot on. It was one of the best you have ever seen. 
and he was fantastic and energetic and, and energizing during the So Tour, for sure, which was the absolute height and pinnacle of his career. We can all agree on that. And the, the, uh, the, the Secret World Tour based on the Us album or promoting the Us album was, was also, um, uh, maybe for, for a lot of people, better, uh, at least performance-wise. Um, better, not for every song, mind you. Some people criticize his performance on Digging in the Dirt, that it sounded a bit shaky and not as vibrant and energetic like the album version. But it got better over the years. I think Digging in the Dirt was stronger during the Growing Up tours, performance-wise, than during the Secret World tour. But that's just me personally. It's not that anything is bad about that. I just noticed a change and I noticed some progress there or uh, uh, how the song or his performance evolved over the years, so to speak. But enough about that. Let's let's dive into the album itself, yeah? Um, the album starts with a track that surprised a lot of people. It was uh, just uh, called Darkness. And it was also the first song that Gabriel... Uh, promoted and introduced on his website back then uh, by uh, saying that the song was about addressing fear that we all have in our lives based on an event or uh, based on experiences that we had as a child mostly, you know, for most of us anyway, uh, where we deal with fear for the very first time. Maybe fear of darkness itself, fear of the unknown fear of the monster in your closet or under the bed, fear of loss, fear of rejection, of failure, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's all packed in there where uh, Peter sings about, uh, of course, fear of, of, of rejection or be, fear of being misunderstood or uh, fear of loving, loving women and men fear of just fear of everything that has something to do with social contacts uh, surprisingly so which i think most of us can actually identify and, and understand and i personally can i've i deal with fear every day in my own way and i have been looking for therapy ever, ever uh you know um, wait a minute i have been looking for therapy for a, a couple of weeks now thinking about that at least. I wanted to talk to a therapist uh, about my own personal problems and, and experiences and, you know, and issues. Yeah, we all have issues, for God's sakes. I, I, I asked my best friend if he uh, should take my advice and look for a therapist because he desperately needs one. He would never, never in his life admit that he needs therapy because he's a narcissist, but he needs one. And I need one because most of the time in my life I am sad and uh, devastated and broken. And I, <laughs> I should need therapy at some point in life. That does not mean that I will change the uh, overall approach to my life by uh, going single and going my own way. But sometimes it's a bit difficult and I need help for that. And I will decide for myself when that uh, single voyage, that lone wolf mode will end. Not anyone else is going to change that for me. I will make that decision for myself. And I use Gabriel's music often as therapy or support, like many other people do 
who uh, deal with darkness every now and then. And uh, the song itself is, just to get back to the album here, yeah, just bear with me here. <laughs> We're 50 minutes in, I'm not even, even done by a long shot. Um, it starts quiet by just playing a few notes, and all of a sudden it smashes the audio up really, really high with an interesting guitar riff and sound like guitar bashing, I would almost say. Something that you don't hear from other musicians very, very much. And uh, that's what I love about Gabriel because you're always in for a treat. You're always in for a surprise when a new album hits the market or when he creates something new entirely. And this is a kind of guitar play that David Rhodes and Tony Levin uh, bring up for for Gabriel to actually craft what he was looking for. Um, it's really powerful. The great thing about the song is it, it delivers the powerful, loud message when about fear itself, and then it calms down to a very quiet piece of piano and, um, uh, you, know, you know, piano and, and guitar, basically, in, in the background, where uh, you can just feel the conclusion or the voyage through that that darkness and the understanding of why I was dark and what I, what it was that we're afraid of or what he was afraid of in the song. And this this roller coaster ride up and down through this track is very energizing, very inter- entertaining. For some, maybe not entertaining enough because it's a very long track. Most of his songs are very long in, in general, like over five or six minutes. Um, Darkness is not a mainstream song by far. Darkness is really a masterpiece of art, especially when you consider the fact that it's been dealing about fear. And the message of the song is really that you should be or you will be at some point, if you keep working on it, in control of your fear before your fear takes control of you. And that's basically it. And that's a beautiful message. I love this song. I think it's, it's a fantastic track. It's not something to dance to, for sure, okay? This is something that you have to, you witness the song, you know? It's like, like a, it, you have to embrace the message or you cannot deal with the song entirely. At least that's what I personally feel when I listen to a track like that. I can't listen to the song very often or, you know, all the time, of course not. It's a very special one. It's... It's when I feel down and I feel like I'm trapped somehow in my own problems and my fear, I listen to this track. I really do. And uh, it gives me hope. Even if I don't believe in hope, but I I, I certainly understand that I need hope in that moment to uh, maybe see some light at the end of a dark tunnel and just move forward like, like we all do, like we have to. You know, there's no other choice. You can't go backwards. You can only go forward. And that's something that I think this this uh, this track and the overall album uh, promotes and and tries to deliver. I think. And once uh, darkness is over, you uh, instantly bump into um, you bump into uh, growing up, which is consequently also about death in the end. I mean, darkness is not so much about death, really. Darkness can be about death if you believe personally that it touches a a topic or a subject that is very close to you. Then, of course, it does. Like, you know, fear of losing someone. But there is a track on here that deals with that as well. 
uh, whereas specifically with a loss of a human being, there are more tracks than one, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm. Uh, today I'm going to be really drunk, I guess. I'm not promoting alcohol, but I fucking love whiskey. Anyway, Growing Up is the most upbeat track on this album, and I think one of the most upbeat tracks overall of his career. And uh, Growing Up, like the title suggests, is basically really just um, a message to... Uh, not a message, let's say. It's, it's an overall analysis of a human life when you get born. The first uh, lyrics, like, you know... Um, where he describes that you're lying in, in a warm, a, a purse of some sort, which is the womb of a woman. And then you, 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 you have this sensation of waves kicking in, um, which is actual birth in the end, you know, when, when you get these, these contractions. Not everyone, but women get these contractions. I don't get contractions unless I have to go to the toilet, and that's a different story. But in this case, we're talking about a woman giving birth, you know, about, about life. And then, you know, taking, taking this role and then growing up into, into uh, a different phase when you reach puberty, when you become an, an, an adult, when you grow old, when you just move forward in this, in this interesting voyage that we all share, that we all experience. And uh, this, the, the song is basically a promotion for life, even though the album itself is very dark. So... In contrast to everything else, this is probably the most positive song about uh, about life in general, about the, the voyage that we all face. And uh, you have interesting aspects here in, in the song. I'd like to, if I find the lyrics here in this booklet, no, I do not find them here. I see lots of nice pictures. There are no lyrics. I didn't even know that. Why am I reading this? What the hell? Anyway... And I think the, one of the final uh, verses of, of the song, he sings um, about, about the, the name that he chose. There's, on, the, on the table, there's a detailed drawing, and on the drawing is the name I took. Now, when I listen to that, I cannot help but think of reincarnation. Now, the reason why I say this, and I think that Gabriel also touches in his private life uh, this topic every now and then, is because I think the song says that we, we, we chose this. We, it might be possible that we choose what kind of life we want to live before we actually get born. Now, this is a spiritual one. I'm not a strong believer in, you know, heaven or hell or gods or any kind of uh, stuff like that. I personally find it ludicrous for the most part. But I do have to believe, or not believe, but I do assume that there might be a system after death that we're not completely uh, sure about, where we have no knowledge of. I, I don't think it has much to do with Christ or God or stuff like that. You know, it's just... You have to put religion aside to maybe get a glimpse or an understanding of what, what possibly could lie ahead in the afterlife, what that might be, you know. And just assuming that some religions like the Buddhism might be 
might possibly be correct with that. If, they, if there is a chance for reincarnation, then what would be the purpose of a higher being forcing you down to earth and giving you uh, the, the life of an ant or a monkey or a dog or a human once again to, you know, just take another voyage to collect experience because the higher being, this divine being says so. That makes no sense. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It makes more sense if you, as a, let's say, just for a moment, you assume that the soul is real. I'm not saying it is. I'm just assuming that, for, as an example, all this information that we collect as a human being, the experiences, the essence of life for you as an individual subjectively, what if that information gets transferred to another plane of existence? That means everything that you collect on earth from all the lives that you had can be stored somewhere. Maybe in, you, in yourself as an entity where you don't have access to it when you get reborn as person number 15 or 16 or 112. And when you die, maybe I could imagine if you go into a comic book universe, let's say, uh, you could actually access all that information again and reevaluate your experiences. And you ask yourself, is there something missing? Is there something I'd like to experience again? Then you go back to earth and experience that. That would also explain why some would like to experience the negativity of life. Let's say being a victim, being abused, being murdered, being, uh, you know, being shot to bits and pieces during war, or, you know, uh, suffering a horrible accident, or other kinds of existences, other kinds of suffering on earth that maybe some people would like to volunteer to experience. That is not a theory. That's just a hypothesis that I'm pushing out there, far-fetched into fantasy land. Yes, I understand that. But it does make for me personally more sense if we could actually choose those paths and experience that for ourselves. It doesn't make much sense when you think about the entire population just growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, where do all these experiences and souls come from? That's where the logic loses itself. But if you think about that, you have maybe the possibility to revisit Earth or other planets and gather more experiences overall because you want to. That would be cool, you know. You could actually really live multiple lives and, and learn a thing or two here and there on different, uh, different societies, different worlds, different planes of existence, and, and just keep on moving and evolving from that. That would be cool. I'd really like to see that. And I think that this piece, this, this, this part of the song, this part of the lyric where he says, that is the name I chose. The name he chose means for me, I'm not sure if that's correct what he says, what, what he believes, or what, was what, he, what he was thinking about when writing the song, but I think there is a message here that says that this part of my existence was something I wanted to experience, and I chose that life. That's what he maybe meant when he said, that's the name I chose.
from the drawing. The detailed drawing is the path of his life that he engineered, or at least, you know, helped push to some degree. I could be wrong. It could mean something completely else. I know that. It's just my personal interpretation of the lyric. And I went way deep in in this material, I think, more than I should. But I I think you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, Nonetheless, growing up is fantastic. It was live. It was a blast when he was jumping around in this gigantic inflated Zorb ball. Um, In case you don't know what that is, you look, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's called Zorb. Uh, with a Z. It's really um, just a gigantic ball that has like one layer of air and and layer in the middle, in the the center of the ball where you can climb in there and grab some handles and you can just roll around with that ball. You can roll around with it yourself or you can use it while walking and using uh, the ball itself as, as a propulsion system to move around, you know, like a gigantic tire. And I think he did that in Italy, I think. If I, I, I've, I've seen snapshots of him in, in a Zorb ball and with his team and, and friends, you know, uh, trying it out in public before using it on stage. And on stage he uses the ball, which gets dropped from, from, from the top, from the ceiling, and then he, he dives in there. And, you know, when he actually secures himself and he, he gets a feel for it, and then the song starts. And he just rolls around, you know, it's, uh, rolls across from David Rhodes while he jams his guitar. And Gabriel is jumping up and down every now and then when certain parts of the song are being played, especially the, especially the bass, you know. Um, it's a sight to behold. I'm glad I saw it live. I always look back at it with a tear of joy in my eye. It was really great. Uh, The third track is Sky Blue. Now, Sky Blue is, again, I would say, uh, connected to growing up, uh, a similar thing, I would say. It's not about death, really. Sky Blue is about to me, about a man or a person who is uh, looking for for his home, I would almost say, you know, for somebody who just uh, has been restless for most of his life until he reaches a point where he uh, finds peace and prosperity somehow, somewhere in his life. And what I find interesting is Gabriel said that he worked for years and years on this track and during the completion of the up album he said his song was finally complete and he wanted to share it with the world. Now I have to say sadly that Sky Blue is fun to listen to. It is beautiful but it's not really that good in comparison to other songs like San Jacinto or Mercy Street or In Your Eyes. Um it sounds too generic in comparison to those songs. It could have been better, in my opinion. I'm not the biggest supporter of Sky Blue. It is a good song, but it could be better. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's the, the ending of Sky Blue is being accompanied by the chanting and singing of the Blind Boys of Alabama. I think that's what they're called. It, it's a group of, of Afro-American people. Um, all blind, and they sing beautifully. 
They really do. And I think they were a part of the live performance at some point. Uh, in Germany, when I saw the tour, they were not present, unfortunately. Um, uh, Sky Blue, it, it, it ends with their singing together with Gabriel, just chanting away. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best parts of the song, that's true. But the overall message, I think, of the song is okay. It's, um, to be honest, I don't remember exactly what he said about the song. But I think, from, from my personal uh, point of view, from what I think subjectively the song means, it's really about the voyage of a human being until he finds a place where he can settle down. That's basically what I understand from it. And the, the, the reason why I don't find the song to be as powerful as, as, as many of his other songs is it, it could have been stylistically, artistically, maybe a bit more vibrant and dynamic in its arrangement. I find it sometimes even a little bit boring to listen to. I have to be in the mood to listen to that. You can't compare a track like that with uh, songs like Red Rain or or even Darkness, okay? It, it has a completely different feel and pace and emotion to the song. It's not as powerful as it could be. It's, it, it, it is good. I do like that Gabriel did the track. I just wish he could have put a bit... Uh, something else in there like a, a, an extra punch if you know what i mean it's very hard to explain you have to listen to it for yourself and make your de- decision if i'm right or wrong if you think that the song even means something completely different i don't know um i'd like to skip that track though and go to uh, no way out which is consequently um an ultimate song about death and about a person dying or many people dying depending on where you actually stand. Uh, when he sings uh, in, in the beginning, uh, a circle bound, uh, people are forming a circle, and there is a man in the middle or a person in the middle who is covered in blood, uh, hurt, and um, the center of attention who needs help. So, you know, that's... Um, this. I love this track. I really do. It's, it's also from uh, the arrangement let's say it it does, it does sound very technical you know like it's just been mixed but not really played live it's been more not played in the studio as one take it's like it just sounds like it's, it's been mixed in the studio um, like many different forms of music being thrown together like uh, let's say David Guetta would do now I, I do believe that Gabriel is still a lot better in that regard than good old David Guetta, but you get my point, I think. But um, the tone and the uh, the mood of the track are just beautiful. When he starts singing very loud and 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 and, and emotional, uh, don't leave, you know, it, don't leave me, don't leave us. Um, there's no way out for you. You you cannot leave. That's just that is it is a beautiful take on on the fact that uh, even people like like. Uh, superstars have to face uh, the consequence of life that sometimes people just leave and, and they die from disease, they die from 
from uh, old age, they die from accidents or even uh, violent deaths, unfortunately, then we have to deal with that. And the song deals, in my opinion, with the actual moment of fear to lose someone. Not where death already occurred, but where death is imminent, where it might happen the next five minutes, the next hour. You know, this the, the, the tragedy of it all is covered in that song of, of fear of losing people we love, fear of death. Um, I think it's one of the stronger songs of Gabriel overall, of his uh, discography, and it's one of the more uh, stronger messages of the album, I think. Um, it's a great track to listen to every now and then. It's not mainstream. Like I said, this album entirely is, with the exception of Growing Up and uh, uh, Barry Williams' show, is anything but mainstream. That's why I love this guy. He just knows what he's doing. <laughs> like I said, Sky Blue could be a little bit better. That's just my personal opinion. Don't hate me for it, okay? That's just, uh, that's just the way I see it. Then, of course, after No Way Out, there is the, the track um, I Grieve. Now, in case you don't know where this track comes from, it has been used many times for uh, movies and TVs. I think mostly for TV productions. I remember the song being played in uh, a Smallville even when uh, Jonathan Kent died. Uh, you know, Tom Welling, uh, the Clark Kent's Earth father, when he died, the song I Grieve was, was played, which was a beautiful a decision. First of all, it's it's one of those tracks that really deals with the loss, the actual death and loss of a loved one, with grief, and um, that's this again. This is uh, not one of the strongest tracks. It is probably from all the tracks on the album. It is the strongest song with the most powerful message on this album, completely. I mean, Darkness is fantastic. It's it's a loud song, yeah. I get that. But um, I Grieve is... I, I'm sorry, there is no better track on this album. I, there are many good songs here. I, I, I really believe that. Especially the last one, which is one of my favorites. But um, I Grieve is beyond fantastic because it addresses an issue that uh, many people sing about, but nobody hits it so precisely and so emotional and so true and raw like Gabriel does. Um, many people, uh, many artists have a great way of dealing with death and, and talking and singing about death. That's true. Uh, I think Nine Inch Nails would be one of those bands who could actually, you know, really, really kick it out there. But um, I would have to look up those tracks, though, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm, I don't memorize much. But... Um, this is this is a track that you know when people make movies and TV shows they very often take tracks of Gabriel to uh, underline the emotional value of a scene you know or just deliver a punchline to deliver an emotional punchline so to speak a message that the audience needs to swallow and digest and it gets more intense if the music is right we all know that so um, it, it, it's not surprising to me that songs like I Grieve get, get chosen more often. Um, even, you know, from, from his uh, later album, the cover album, uh, Scratch My Back, where um, he covers 
specific tracks that he likes so much. For example, Heroes from David Bowie, right? We, we know that. And then uh, there's a song called... Um, uh, that's just a second. I, I just heard it today when I, when I saw the, the series finale of, of Lucifer. The song My Body is a Cage was played uh, in, in, a, in an interesting fight sequence that was shot in slow motion. Uh, beautiful, you know, where you, you can see the, the 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 wings of Lucifer being spread out and attacking one of those, uh, let's say, terrorists. I think French terrorists in that in that case. Um, that was beautiful. That was a great shot, and I just I couldn't believe that they actually chose another Peter Gabriel song once again for a fantastic episode of of a TV series. And the same track, even though it's a cover song, but you know, seriously, Gabriel's version of, of My Body's a Cage is fantastic. And I have to look up the original uh, um, um, writers and performers and, and, and creators of the track. I, I, I knew it somewhere in my head. I am sorry, I kind of forgot. Um, I, I'm terrible at this, I know, but you have to listen to this track. It's really, really beautiful. My Body's a Cage has been used on the TV series House, you know, this doctor House who, you know, is always miserable, but is a genius when treating patients. There's also an episode where he uh, goes berserk, and, and, and during that time, also slow motion scene, the exact same track is being played. And it's, it's not a secret that Peter Gabriel is loved and respected in the music, uh, in the movie industry, because lots of producers and, and directors, they have a vision, and they like to, you know, just spread out their, their fingers and wings into the music pool. And very often they find Gabriel's music to be the most, uh, 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 the most promising choice to deliver a good scene, you know, to create and craft this, this universe. Of course, we have many other artists as well, but I do find Gabriel more often... <laughs> Than, than I would even believe. I didn't expect that. You know, I, w- I was lying in my bed looking at the big screen here. Uh, I, I watched the series over a projector. And in the, the, the last episode, I had tears in my eyes because it was so emotional. That song was being played. I couldn't believe it. But understandable why they would, chose it, why they would choose such a track, especially from, from him. Um, even on the show The Americans, an older uh, track of Gabriel was being played. I think it was Wallflower. Um, just look this guy has become immortal in in the movie business if you want to create a good scene you have so much music to choose from and sometimes there's always that guy somewhere in the background going we need Gabriel on this this episode we need that song and we're good to go that's just cool I know why I'm a fan I totally get it and I know why some, some movie makers and TV show creators are fans too obviously or at least uh, music enthusiasts and admirers of Gabriel's work. And um, to get back to the actual message here, uh, the song I Grieve was written, I don't know if it was explicitly written for a movie, but it was a song that Gabriel was was working on. And the first version of that song, with less uh, instruments being played, was mostly more, more electronic, more... Uh, soft drums, let's say, being used, was in the Nicolas Cage movie uh, City of Angels, 
where Nicolas Cage plays an angel, of course, falls in love with a human being. And when he becomes mortal, she dies. And when she dies, that, that song is being played. And it's uh, the best part of the, the, the whole movie. And many, many people know the track from that film. And when he decided to put that track on the album and re-record it with uh, slightly new, new instruments, I think a violin is in there somewhere, you do realize that the new, the, the new version of the track adds a bit more spice to it. I think maybe a bit more emotion. Some people prefer the original song. I prefer personally the album version, to be honest. I think it's a bit better. Also, his voice is a bit um, slightly better when he gets to these um, louder, emotional, I grieve parts when he just chants them out there. It sounds a bit better on the album version to me than the soundtrack version. But that's just me there. Um, The song was also played live from a studio uh, during uh, 9-11 when the buildings collapsed. I I know it was broadcasted live from Gabriel's studio uh, playing uh, for all those people who were in fear of losing someone during those buildings when they crashed. And uh, it's, it's this, this, this song is out there. Let's put it that way. It's been broadcasted many times. It has been used many times. It has been played many times. It is a masterpiece. When it's about death, it is beautiful. And the great thing about this track is the ending of the track gives you hope because you understand or what this what he is trying to convey here is that of course death is normal, but life goes on. You know, life goes on and on and on and on is basically the the last message of the song and a part of of the lyric, of course. And it goes on everywhere we see in in in, in the ashes and the dust and dogs and cats and flies and rats and you know it's it's he's right of course life goes on we know it but it's sometimes hard to accept you know it's it's like um, somebody uh, said you have to go through the darkness in order to see the light it doesn't work otherwise so you have to accept the fact that people die and deal with it and then you know understand that this is a part of life and you have to understand that we have to go forward there is no other way and that's the, 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 the circle, the cycle in which we're always caught in. And uh, it's, it's um, I don't have to talk too much about this. I, I did already. I talked way too much. You know what I mean. You know what the song means. If you don't like it, it's fine. I get that. It's a very uh, dark and uh, touchy one. I get that. But um, I'm sorry. No one does it better. No one. <laughs> My hat is off to Gabriel for this track. It's beautiful. Uh, next, of course, is the Barry Williams show, which I covered uh, in the beginning of, of my uh, uh, podcast or uh, talk about the album here. The Barry Williams show is a message, like I said, to those talk shows, uh, for, or at least a, criti- a, a critique to the talk show phenomenon and the abuse of emotion and power. Uh, by just butchering the people on stage and giving the audience what they want, you know, pressing the button. They want tears, they want emotion, they want tragedy, they want to abuse and exploit that. Talk show is just emotional exploitation. That's all the song is about. It was. It came out too late. That's the criticism here. It uses some harsh words like rape. Okay, I get that. Child abuse. Okay, we get that. It doesn't mean the song is bad. 
the message of the song, we all get that, is great. Um, I personally don't watch talk shows anymore. They piss me off. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's all we know from from uh, from from the track. That's basically why it was written. I do remember that the famous actor Sean Penn was directing the music video for the Barry Williams show. And I do love the music video because you see Gabriel in a very cool black coat, long coat outfit with his goatee long beard that goes like in circles when it grows down like, like, a, like a screw almost. And I think his daughter told him, if you don't shave this off, I'm going to cut it off in your sleep or something like that. So he got convinced to uh, uh, remove the beard, at least shorten it to a more decent, uh, decent length instead of just letting it curl down. Uh, I did like the curly beard. I thought it looked cool. But, you know, <laughs> it's hard to convince Gabriel of something that I think his daughter has actually succeeded there. Hmm. Anyway, um, the music video is a great uh, piece of work. Unfortunately, because of the ban, because of the words being used, uh, the music video wasn't played at all anymore. I haven't seen it in years. You have to look, look for it online or go to YouTube and look at it. Um, it's, um, it's, it's really Sean Penn's baby as far as I know. According to Gabriel, he had nothing to do with the music video. That was all Sean Penn's idea. I salute him for the way he produced the video. I love this this thing. I like looking at it and watching it over and, uh, you know, not over and over again, but every now and then I do look into it because it's just a great piece of work. Um, uh, Sean Penn crafted his own universe uh, surrounding the surreal uh, talk show elements and all that. I, unfortunately, you know, the song is underrated, obviously. We know why. And so is the music video. Um, if you haven't seen this before, check it out. It's really, it's really cool. It's, it's just downright cool. And next, of course, um, going through and forward to in, in, in this album is the song, My Head Sounds Like That. Now, this is where it gets more interesting because this is a, a very typical, experimental, emotional, moody Gabriel track. This is a typical Gabriel song. Uh, I Grieve is one too. Uh, darkness is not so typical because of its, um, let, let's say, loud nature. We haven't had a track like that since Digging in the Dirt. But um, my head sounds like that. According to Gabriel, during the full moon phase of his uh, you know, website persona and, and, and promotion of the album, he said the idea, what he thinks about the song is it's about throwing up. And I'm not making this up. This He actually said that because I watched that video several times to understand what the hell was going on in his head. Um, he said, when you are about to, you know, you have this, this nausea in you and you're just about to throw up, everything around you, your senses pick up information much more, much more intense and sensible. The smell is intense, your hearing is intense, what you feel is intense, your temperature rises, or you get sweaty, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it, everything is much more intense up to that point when you start to throw up. It's like uh, somebody has just cranked up the volume and, and you're going through it until it's done. 
until your stomach is empty or something like that. So that's the, <laughs> that's the interesting part of, of Gabriel when he approaches his song, uh, what it's about, where the idea comes from. And the lyrics are just fantastic. Yeah, they really are. And when he sings, for example, um, uh, the, a, freight, a freight train rumbles past my window because it's so loud and so intense. And he, the, his hearing is gets intensified because of his nausea. Or, uh, you know, um, the knife scrapes across the burn brown toast. <laughs> you can't come up with this shit. It has to be from a twisted mind, a, a bloody mind like Gabriel. That's what Phil Collins said, you know. Gabriel has a bloody mind, and that's where the ideas come from for, for his songs very often. There is truth in that, you know. He knows him probably better than than anyone else, uh, at least work-wise, I would say. Maybe Tony Levin and David Rhodes for sure, but Phil Collins was very outspoken about that topic once. So um, we know where that comes from. Um, There's an interesting part of of the song. the, the, The song is being accompanied by trumpets in the background, which sounds unfitting, at first, it's it's not something you listen to every day. I've listened to this track many, 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 many times, especially during my 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 travels in the car. When I'm on the road, I listen to the up album more often, I think. But um, my head sounds like that is it's it's something more artistic, I think, than any other track on the album. It's um, it has a slow buildup, you know. It, it travels around the topic of your senses and what you feel until it reaches a point where it gets a bit louder again, away from the trumpets, uh, away from the classical theme of the song, and it starts being a bit more loud, more more guitar riff jamming. I think when he starts singing um, to determine what's left out and what's left in. He repeats that a couple of times until he uh, jumps back into the uh, previous mood of the song, including the trumpets being played. So it's um, you. Not everyone can deal with with a track like that. It's very experimental, I would say. But let's say, for the sake of the argument, I think in, in Gabriel's experience up to that point, we don't have to necessarily call it an experiment. But it is like an exploration in music and and lyrics for him. I think that's the most best way I could describe the approach to this song. I do like it. I listen to it more often. And if you're in, in, in an interested uh, guy in strange, obscure music, this track might be for you. So check it out. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I bashed it on the table again. Oh, mon dieu. So, after my head sounds like that, the song, more than this, gets played, which uh, is is a, actually a very happy song. He sings about the possibility that must be more out there than we realize, which again mind you, ties into my interpretation of the, the growing up lyric where he says, on the table is a detailed drawing and on the drawing is the name I took. 
So we're tying into, so I believe anyway, into uh, maybe the afterlife or more of, let's say, hidden truths around or inside the universe, outside of Earth, uh, within ourselves maybe. And uh, the the track More Than This touches on that subject. It gives you hope that there's more out there that we know of, more than we understand. Um, never in my life would I think that Gabriel is undermining uh, the, the, the aspects of Earth or, you know, just to, to uh, ridicule the Earth existence by saying, ah, this is all there is, there must be more. No, that's not about that. It's, it's about the idea or the ideology that that this is not everything. You know, the universe is gigantic. The, the word doesn't even cover it. Most people cannot even understand how big the universe actually is. You know, we barely know enough to determine the size of the universe. We can only assume so much from the observable universe. Everything beyond that is still a question mark, right? And if that's not enough, there is still maybe a different plane of existence. There might be an afterlife. There might be aliens. There might be this and that more than we understand. And the song gives a glimpse of what might be, you know, beyond that horizon. And I like the track. It's uh, it's a bit more traditional rock and roll, I think, on a, on a light-hearted way. You know, it's it's more more happy. Um, unfortunately, it never got played that much. It was it's it's I think more than this is um, well. It, the ending of the song gets too repetitive. It could have been shorter in that regard because they keep on singing more than this, more than this, more than this. And but the sound being played in the background, the guitar riff, the the the, the overall tune and, and mood of the song is fantastic. But the lyrics could have been in that regard maybe a bit shorter or played differently. That that's true. That there was a lot of criticism from fans uh, towards the ending of that song. Some people can't listen to it live. It's it's beautiful, but. Um, the overall message is um, that this life is not everything. There is, there, there is more. There will be more. There has to be more. We're not here by, by ourselves. This is not it. Even if you die, it's not it. That's what I think uh, the, the song uh, is trying to, to get across. Uh, among other things, of course, it's not just that, but... It's it's a good uh, addition to to the to the album. It does touch on the subject of death to some degree, so I will have to say that it, it belongs to the category of the other songs as well, with a more happy and lighthearted tune and some hope, of course. Oh, we love hope, don't we? So um, you might want to check this out if you're interested. Then comes signal to noise. Um, I would say right next to I Grieve, it is the second strongest track because um, Signal to Noise, well, for me personally, I think Signal to Noise is a very good message to the overall problematic uh, way that the people live on the planet and treat each other with starting from misinformation to war to violence of all kinds of abuse and and just the fact that some people like to bring others down oppression you know that that kind of stuff and it 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 might be possible that the song is conveying that feeling here in the message in that in in, in the lyrics 
I don't know for sure because, to be honest, I don't remember what Gabriel said about the song, but I know that he was uh, seeking out the great late Nazareth Fatih Ali Khan, who was um, a, a famous singer from... Uh, let, me, let, me, let me look for that information. I forgot. Okay, I'm back again. I just looked it up to be precise to not talk too much crap about this because uh, there are many people out there who really, really love and respect the uh, unfortunately uh, uh, deceased and passed away Nasret Fateh Ali Khan, who was a great singer from Pakistan. And he died, uh, he was born in 1948 and died in 1997 in London. Um he is famous or was famous for his uh, Kwawali uh, singing style. Now, to describe this kind of singing style, I have to be honest, I might skip on that. I don't think I would give it a proper explanation. You have to listen to it to understand what it is or dive into this uh, music style overall. Um, I can only speak for his quality of, of singing, his voice is very versatile and it sounds like he can sing in many different uh, tunes simultaneously almost where he just it sounds like he's 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 jumping over a tune multiple times while he's chanting away in a very emotional state and it sounds beautiful i understand why gabriel wanted to work with him on you know some uh, projects like um I think there was there was a, a song recorded uh, many years ago before this this album came to be. Uh, maybe, well, maybe not too long ago. I think it was still in the '90s about the movie Natural Born Killers, and there was a track uh, being played there uh, where um, I think Gabriel did the synthesizers and Nazareth Fatih Ali Khan was the one singing, of course. And it's a very powerful track. And it's also available on the, the album PG, uh, which is uh, basically an album of uh, uh, um, movie songs that he created or co-created for, for uh, movie projects. And you can, I bought this, the, the album, of course I did, and I, I had to. There are many good tracks on there, even one unreleased one. We're going to talk about that maybe sometime in the future. But uh, good old Nasret Fatih Ali Khan was... Uh, a part of that project and became consequently a very important vocal uh, singer on uh, or performer on the song Signal to Noise. Um, Turn up the signal and wipe out the noise was the last or one of the last uh, verses on, on, on the song where Gabriel really, you know, uh, closes up the message of the song and then becomes very uh, very epic in performance. Um, maybe not for him personally when while singing, but uh, the the buildup of of the song, where an orchestra is being played in in, in in the background, carrying the the emotional value and epicness of the song, is one of the strong suits of the entire album and of course of this track. And I think it's also being played in TV shows and movies sometimes. I don't really know exactly where, 
but I know that it was used once. I have to look that up where it was. I, I don't know everything, guys. I just, I am, I am drinking too much whiskey tonight to actually give you all those informations. But it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really just happy that I can actually share my love for the music with you guys in case you feel the same way. Or in, if, if, even if not, it doesn't matter. You might still want to dive into this kind of music. I would very much recommend it to you. Uh, Signal to Noise is live. Great. My personal favorite was... Um, there was a live performance before the Up album came out together with not Nazareth Fatih Ali Khan. It was his friend Yusu Indur. And I think it was during um, during the tour of... Uh, was it was I think it was it wasn't WOMAT festival it, it wasn't that I think it was something like Amnesty International or uh, some some beneficial concert I think and Gabriel and and Yusu Endur were a part of that and they performed uh, Signal to Noise uh, for the first time ever live and I think in your eyes and uh, Shaking the Tree I think too um. The the this that version back then the performance and the 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 uh, in the end you know wipe out the noise when he starts screaming that at the end of the of, of of his live performance that's breathtaking that is so powerful that is for me personally my favorite version of the song um, if I don't forget I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, share the link to a YouTube video where you can actually listen to that it's it's really you have to see it. You have to see it to believe it, then you maybe understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, let's let's close this up. We're almost in uh, one hour 42, almost. Jesus, I'm so sorry for talking so much. I hope you don't mind. The last song on the album, which is ultimately one of my favorite tracks because it is about dying again, yes, is called The Drop. And I remember that Peter Gabriel was reluctant to add the, 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 the track and the recording on the album because he said it wasn't as clean as he would hoped to be because there was a ceiling fan that could be heard somewhere in the background a little bit, some, some hissing sound maybe. Personally, I barely notice it. I don't even know if, if, if I've noticed any disturbance in that track at all. All you hear is a solo piano piece of Gabriel singing very softly about how the lights go out in your brain, how he sings being on, on, on the fuselage in a plane, looking out to the ground below, to the cities, and that all the lights are going out. That's like like it could be when you die, that the lights go out and you start, that you're fading away into nothingness or maybe into something else. The tone and mood of this song is typical for Gabriel. It really is. It's one of those songs that they have to spring out of his mind at some point in life. And he's really a master at performing this kind of music and this level of integrity and, 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 and sadness almost. Even though the track isn't that sad to begin with. It sounds like it, but in the end it's just like uh, you have to accept the fact that you die, right? There's nothing you can do about it. 
and when when it happens, it is ultimately a typical part of life and ultimately something positive in the end, even though it is it is painful. It brings grief and suffering to those who are left behind, sometimes for the person who was about to die too. Uh, not, not always, mind you. Some people are actually glad that they can die. But <laughs> um, no matter what the circumstances may be, this song touches the absolute uh, raw truth about just shutting off just being gone you press the button and you're dead you 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 gasp your last breath and that's it that's that's all that's all it is that's the message and the song and i think the way he has written it the way it is performed is perfect is just downright perfect for the topic and it closes the album to a very soft um touching truth let's say uh the last message before the album is completed and yeah, that's the experience of the Alpha album. That's just, it's 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 really a piece of art more than anything else. It's not just a typical studio album; it's an art piece. I know I've said this many times about other uh, albums, especially for the Us album, which is very emotional, f- based on the experiences and emotional issues that Gabriel had to endure during that time. He was also in therapy during that time. He might still be in therapy. I don't know. But the Up album is a conclusion of his thinking and rambling about, well, dying in the end, you know. Maybe not on purpose, maybe it just happened accidentally. I think he was even surprised by himself that there is so much death on the album, so much darkness. But that's why I love him. He's just he's just a sweet guy. Okay, guys, that's that's it. I will take my last sip of this glass before I refill it with my cheap whiskey. Mm. Mm. I'm sorry for talking so much this time. I just feel slightly um, slightly happy and excited, emotionally very touched about the series finale of Lucifer and uh, a bit uh, overwhelmed by my paperwork that lies in front of me. Uh, I've been pushing this around for a while. I have to get to it before doing more artwork. And uh, I will be back with some artwork uh, sometime in the future. I think maybe at the end of this month for a good reason. I'm going to show you why. It's about the portrait that I started for a friend, and it's almost complete. I'll be back with that message, I think. (laughs) Anyway... um, I hope you. Uh, I, I hope. I hope you didn't fall asleep. And if you did, I hope that it was because of my soothing voice and not because of uh, a boring topic uh, called uh, Peter Gabriel's music. I. Sh- I certainly hope not. Um, I wish you guys all the best. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. Enjoy life a little. A little bit. Enjoy each other's company. Some good food and a whiskey. And I will be back, hopefully soon enough. Take care. Have fun with Gabriel and other music, and bye-bye.